Hello and welcome to the SFM podcast. I'm John Cole and I hope that everybody out there is staying safe. In the second of our series of looks at fan groups seeking to take control and influence their clubs, I spoke this week to Stuart Wallace, the chairman of the highly successful Foundation of Hearts. Over the last few years, the dream of majority ownership by the foundation, secured on behalf of the Hearts fans, has edged closer, uh, thanks to the massive million, million, £11 million in monthly pledges over the course of around eight years. Understandably, the foundation chairman is upbeat, although there is still some rancour over his club's treatment by the authorities at the end of last season. Sure, uh, thanks very much for, for joining us. Uh, Chairman of the Foundation of Hearts, um, you've been spectacularly successful over the past uh, 10, uh, 11 years. 8,000 members, which by my uh, arithmetic, uh, that the, they're paying you something like, on average, a tenner a month, which is astonishing in terms of commitment, but it's, it's also astonishing, astonishing in terms of the length of time that people have maintained that commitment. Yeah, completely. I mean, the some of the finer points, I mean, the foundation came into effect about 2013 or something like that, just before the, the obviously it was starting to be formed then as the club was exiting administration and uh, in the discussions with Anne and such like and Anne's Bidco, the, the, the numbers themselves... Um, I mean, the average the average pledge a member puts in is actually, I think, these days about seventeen and a half quid. So it's something we we monitored. It used to be sixteen pound fifty. It's now gone up to seventeen pound fifty. So it's kind of four pound a week. Um, as I always say, a, a place a pint of beer in one of the better places in Edinburgh, but probably not a place a pint of beer on Gorky Road. Be a bit cheaper than that. But we're we're actually we saw a surge in membership last year, which we can come to. The numbers are actually sitting healthily above. 8,000. But you're right, you know, broadly it's been 8,000 people plus putting in money for, you know, eight years plus now to the tune of about 17 and a half quid a month on average, but really ranging from everything from a tenner a month up to several hundred pound a month from some members. So yeah, it's a, it's incredibly successful so far and uh, shows, shows no sign of letting up anytime soon. Do you think that one of the reasons for that is maybe that because there there have been incremental gains along the way, you know, you know that people can see that very quickly that, that what they've been putting in has been getting some results in a, in a positive sense for the club. Yeah, undoubtedly. I mean, I think to start with, it was all about saving the club. So you know, the, the crisis was there. We had to do something. You know, the heartstrings were no doubt being pulled a little bit in the early days and people want to save the football club. So people will naturally put money in. I think the trick and the success has been to keep that going. And I think it's become, you might say, habitual. Um, it's part of the deal, the way some Hearts fans look at it, for being a supporter of the club. I think you're right in that when they see how their money is being spent, um, either because the club is generally moving forward or the most obvious example at Tynecastle is the new stand. You know, all of a sudden, the old Archibald Leach stand is gone, you know, more than 100 years or whatever it was there. We take the we take the capacity at that side of the stadium from, I think it was 3,500 up to just short of 8,000. You know, all of a sudden you're sat with a 20,000-seat stadium and a massive ability to run more hospitality and all the rest of it through that stand. So I think you're right. When people can see things happening round about them, they are far more inclined to put money in. I think there's undoubtedly a sense um, that success breeds success, if you like, in monetary terms. So when people see the club moving forward, they will be more inclined to put money in. I think what we've probably seen a bit of last season is um, when crisis returns or... 
when there's a, a feeling of being badly treated, then that cer- certainly galvanises people and they want to put their hand in their pocket again. So are you going to tell me that you're that you're you're thanking the SFA? <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> Not quite. It was an interesting dynamic in that, you know, we could see we could see how things were unfolding, we could see all the challenges and risks that were there at the football club around, you know, what the pandemic was going to mean, what's football going to close down. It seems naive to say that now, you know, kind of almost twelve months on because it seems so obvious now that it was going to shut down. Yeah. But we could see that we were caught in the crosshairs. I think what sort of galvanised people was that feeling of being so hard done by, um, you know, so poorly treated by the football authorities, by the membership organisation, if you like. But it seemed to be, regardless of what was being said, um, hearts were going to be demoted. We saw an absolute surge in our membership at that time. And I've no doubt there was an element of, you know, to use polite words, we'll show you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was fascinating to watch. You know, I think the membership probably increased by you know, a, a thousand or more at that point. It was incredible. Just the, the, the question I was going to ask you earlier, but I, I suppose this makes it you know, more relevant. That, that, I mean, basically, Foundation Hearts was started off as, as a... Uh, an umbrella organisation, didn't it? There were various yeah, dis- disparate groups that were put together. Now, I, I, I know from previous experience that putting together different fan groups, even <laughs> at the same club, can be can be a really really difficult task because everybody's got their yeah. own agenda, they've got their own perspective, they've they've got their own priorities. I, I would have thought that, and that, that would have been difficult at the best of times. But last year, that must have been incredibly difficult to keep discipline because people must have been very very angry. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the main supporters groups, I think, now have a good relationship. So I think back in 2013, and truth, and I'm sure all the different groups would say this, it was probably a bit like herding cats. Um, you know, Ian, Ian Murray, the MP, um, actually takes a, a fair bit of credit here, I think, for pulling those organisations together and almost kind of saying, look, we are at a moment of crisis. Yeah. The football club is not yet safe. There was a call to say, will everybody sit underneath the Foundation of Hearts banner for now. What we've never done is tried to say, well, we're the, organ- we're the only organisation that exists. Some great, great friends were one of the guys um, who runs the Federation of Hearts Supporters Club, for example. Why do they exist to look after the interests of the travel and heart support? That's not something Foundation of Hearts should be getting involved in, really, other than to help. So, yeah, I think, you know, you've got the, the, the main... Fans board were internet board were reasonably close to the guys there. Um, Federation of Heart Supporters Club close to the guys there. I've turned up at the Heart Shareholders Association and talked to the guys there about the foundation. So I think there's now a good working relationship compared to where it was all that time by. But we were talking in quite a bit of detail as fans organisations when it became clear, um, you know what the agenda was, you know, what we were hearing from the SPFL and what their plans were. Uh, you know, you want to talk to the other supporters groups about that to say, how should we react to this? How, how do you see the, the, the whole thing if and when it comes to an end? Or how would you see it as having been a success? Would it be just to, to get that ownership, which I believe uh, that you're going to have transferred over to you this year? Uh, mm-hmm. or, or is there any move towards maybe a membership model, something that would safeguard the, the, the club in future from hostile takeovers and, and things like that? Yeah, I mean, gosh, that's a, that's a multi-layered question. So let's, let me try it bit by bit. Um, what happens to Foundation afterwards? I mean, I think one thing we're clear on is that the vision for Foundation of Hearts should be 
um, to help the success of the football club. You're right, the starting point was um, to protect the long-term interests of the supporters. Mm. Hearts is one of these clubs that's been through probably some colourful ownership, um, certainly prior to um, you know Foundation and Hearts getting involved. Quite recently, it was through yeah. some colourful ownership. So you're almost saying, how do we build a structure which protects against that so that the fans are never again put in a position where you're having to go to them and say, you need to bail the club out here, um, you know, because otherwise it's end of days. So I think that is part of the model. The other part of the model, as we've said, you know, we, we are very keen to be a source of funding for the football club so that there is longevity about the membership agreement, if you like. Mm-hmm. Do, I, do I see a kind of, you would talk about it as a Barcelona-type model, yeah. you know, a, a sort yeah. of socio-type model, Um I don't, I don't quite. I mean, people always say it's a membership organisation, a bit like the Foundation of Hearts. You think, well, that's true, but the guy that gets voted in as the president is the guy with the biggest checkbook, from what I can see, yeah. you know, to, to help make Barcelona successful. But you look at models like that and say, and the Bundesliga models as well, there's a lot in those which gives a healthy slice, if not you know, virtually all of the ownership in the club to the community. And that's what we've always talked about, to say it should be a community or fan-owned club so that the people that care for the club most um, have their interests protected. And my ethos is always to hand it on to the next generations. So to say, we've had our fun following the football club, let's hand on a healthy football club to the kids. So I think all of that's there by way of what is a longer-term plan. I think the, the last point you made was around... Um, so that it's not sold on again. Yeah. That's all been built into the governance model now. So when we take the majority shareholding, as you say, the plan is for that, you know, round about the end of the season, um, round about summer, we will take that majority shareholding. We will have 75.1% of the shares in the club. What we've done in the governance model is said, in the event that there is a, ever a proposed sale of some or all of that shareholding, that would have to go back to the members for a vote. And it would have to be a supermajority that vote in favour of that disposal. So it would be 90% of those voting would have to vote in favour before any disposal takes place. So I always said you should provide an escape route just in case, because we never know what will happen in future. Yeah. But we should make it as tough as possible. Um, so that really, you would hope that if it was the right thing for that, for any disposal to happen, you would actually hope to get 99% of the vote rather than 90. Yeah. Because it would be the right thing to do. I, I've often, and you know, for the, the past 20 years, that, that you know, I had discussions with, with, with people at Celtic, uh, with people at Motherwell uh, as well, uh, about that this notion of having a fan on the board now effectively that's what you guys you know mm. are, are, are going to have uh and and, and if you get 71 percent obviously you you'll be well represented uh on, on the board of directors there really is a kind of dichotomy going on there isn't there because the, what fans want is not always in the best interest financial interest of the <laughs> club and, and and vice versa how, how, i mean you, you you must see that coming because it, it's a bullet that has to be dodged isn't it yeah, well, I mean, we've got it now, in truth, because, you know, Asset is an on-exec on the board of the football club. Um, one of my sidekicks on the foundation board, who's lawyer, Donald Cumming, he's the other, what we call, nominated director. Yeah. So we're the two nominated directors from Foundation of Hearts that sit on the club board. Um, and you're right, I think it's a long way from everybody, but certainly there is a small number of people 
who would probably say that we, we should be there to agitate. Yeah. Um, it's almost kind of, you, you, you're the guys in there to make the fans view heard all the time. I think I've always viewed it as slightly different from that, slightly nuanced to say we are there to represent the long-term interests of the supporters um, and to protect the football club for the long term for the supporters. What we're not there to do is agitate around every single little decision that's made, especially on the football side. So I said, there's people in the football club that are perfectly able to run the football club day by day and are actually very good at it and very good at making the day-to-day football decisions. They should not feel they have to report up to us as, if you like, the fans' directors, to, to use that phrase, in any way that they wouldn't to a corporate board. That's where you get your ability to raise your questions, you know, behind closed doors in the boardroom, you have that debate. Mm. It can be healthy debate and challenge. But ultimately, I've always said any properly functioning board at any corporate in the country will reach the answer um, by agreement amongst the board members. So, you know, you, you'll, you'll get there by consensus. Um, you might not agree with every last little shred of every decision that goes on, but that's how a good board operates. You say your piece and move on. The real question is, how, how do you smooth out those bumps in the road with the fans? I mean, because you, you have to represent what happens in the boardroom with the fans. Is it basically a, a, a transparency model? Uh, be as transparent as possible with supporters and explain to them uh, what's going and, and uh, what's going on, and, and not kind of uh, retreating into an ivory tower, as as does happen elsewhere. Yeah, I think that there's a couple of ways to deal with it. Number one, as we always say, um, the AGM we would want as many people in the room as possible, um, so that we can answer all the questions that come up. The reality is, in our membership of um, you know, nigh on eight and a half thousand. We get about 100 people turning up, maybe 150 turning up for the AGM of Foundation Arts. The club AGM is much better attended, as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, so that is an ability for people to ask questions. The one thing we've said is that as we go through the point of ownership, um, we, we've we talked about having a director of members affairs is what we've called it. We've talked about a challenge around how we engage with supporters. You know, should we be doing... I don't know, roadshows, should we be doing something at the stadium, you know, once every three or six months or something like that? Um, but we're kind of open to all the ideas, and I think it's right that we are accountable. I think the one thing we must never, ever do is be sucked into that point where we're trying to justify day-to-day decisions that are made at board level, you know, on sort of almost in a, in a way that we're reporting back what goes on in the boardroom mm to, you know, everybody and their, their uncle. I think that's what's happened at other clubs. You know, it's went straight from the fans. There's one notable example where it went straight from the fans who were in the boardroom yeah. straight to the press. And you think that's catastrophic. That model failed. Mm-hmm. And I think, so we have to almost be guardians of Luke. Sometimes what goes on in the boardroom has to stay in the boardroom. We're accountable for our decisions. And we will explain when we're engaging with fans why we've why we've kind of gone the way we've gone sometimes. Um, but ultimately, I always say the ultimate sanction is if people are not happy with what we're delivering. My old phrase was, pony up, put yourself up for the board. Yeah. Um, you know, we are keen. We couldn't do it this year. We had to pull in a replacement chartered accountant. We had to get our lawyer to stay on the board again just because of where we are yeah, right with right. regard to share transfer. Yeah, what we're desperate to do in future, <laughs> excuse me, in future years is bring... Um, people onto the board who are, you know, just your kind of rank and file supporter, really. They're there because they're a fan and no other reason for that than that, you know, rather than having specialist skills, if you like. So I think you're right, it's a challenge. And look, we always say, 
in truth, we don't know the answers to all this, is we are one model at Foundation Hearts. We're in some ways working parts of that out as we go. But the one thing I'd be very nervous about is sitting through a board meeting and then going straight back to the fans to say, right, this is what went on in the board meeting. Here's what we said. Here's what yeah. everybody else said. And the worst thing is to say, I don't agree with the decision. Um, because you think then you've just undermined the whole model completely. You get to a decision by way of consensus at the board and all you can do is really look people in the eye honestly and say, rest assured, sometimes the discussion and challenge in there is rigorous, <laughs> for want of a better word. Yeah, I, I, th I think you've probably just described exactly what the difficulty is, uh, to some extent trying to, to, to wear two hats, but it really yeah. comes down to one thing, and, and perhaps that, that's indicated by the fact that there, there aren't people coming forward for the Foundation of Hearts, you know, for directorships, because they trust the people who are there. Would that be a reasonable inference? Um, perhaps. I mean, I think what we see a lot of the time is when something goes out to a vote. I mean, we had the vote recently on whether it should be a 90% supermajority or whether it should be a 75%, both high bars. But the, the turnout we got for that vote was 29% of the membership. Mm. Now, I'm, I'm in a place where I thought 29% was relatively disappointing. I'm reliably informed by people who do this sort of stuff around governance matters all, um, all the time, that 29% is actually quite healthy on a governance matter. Yeah. But I, I sort of looked at that and said, well, the interesting thing is 71% of people who are members in the Foundation of Hearts have effectively said, crack on, guys. I mean, so there is an implicit... I trust what you're doing here. You then get a divide in those who are supporting, which is understandable. It's why we ask the questions. Yeah. Um, but, but so you're right. I think there is a net, there is a strong element of the fan base that says we trust what you're doing. I think there will always be. It feels like a minority who will challenge everything. But at one level, you want that. You want you want those sort of folk involved who will kind of poke and prod yeah. and ask the questions from the side and give the really healthy challenge around what is, as you've said, summarised it so well, saying you wear two hats and it's a very tough hat. It's a very tough hat to switch because sometimes I think myself, hang on, I'm answering this question as director or chairman of Foundation of Hearts, which I'm always very, very happy to do, sometimes you get approached for, well, you're a director at the club and you think, well, hang on, that's really different. You know, if it's comment from the club, yeah. you should be asking the club for comment. You shouldn't be asking me for comment. Tough though, tough, tough, you know, tough to balance that, tough to get it right all the time. I don't duck that at all. And, you know, I personally yeah. would say, have I always got that right all the time? Frankly, that's doubtful. But, you know, you, you give it your best shot and try and be as op open as you can be without kind of, you know, being a reporting back on everything that's going on at board, if you like. As you say, the, uh, it's a tough call to, to have to make, but, but surely what must have been even tougher must have been the situation last year because there was a double whammy of the, the, the COVID thing where, where, where the game got shut down and, and then the enforced relegation of the club. And just when you think there's a bit of momentum going on, I mean, how terrifying w w was that? To, I, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not inviting you to criticise the SFA or, or anybody else. It's, it's just how mm. terrifying w was it from an existential point of view for the club? I mean, well, I said at the time I've never, I couldn't remember being involved in a business ever over my career where he kind of sat there in a boardroom and thought every revenue tap we have has just been switched off. Mm. Um, you know, so television money, you know, league prize money, sponsor money, um, you know, ticket money, everything you looked at. Now I was sitting in the corner of the boardroom going, 
you know, hang on, <laughs> the Foundation of Hearts is still putting money in here. So it was quite reassuring from that point of view yeah. to say, blimey, how many clubs could turn around at that point and say, actually, we've still got 1.75 million rolling in a year. Now, the big challenge was we didn't know how COVID was going to affect us as a fans movement. We would not have guessed that it would cause a surge in membership. You know, we thought we were going to be as challenged as everybody else as people hit difficulties with a job and such like so yeah i mean it, it terrifying initially i think what you do um or what i learned as a board is you kind of almost you know go in, go into your uh, bunker again and say right how do we deal with this um so you start to f- try and find a way through that quite quickly um and clearly there was all sorts of government schemes like the job retention scheme and whatnot in play as well but i think the, the Probably the most frightening thing as a supporter is you're looking at that going, where's the end to this? And I, I get asked often, you know, when do you see fans back in stadiums? And you think, oh, I don't know. I'd love to think, you know, when the season finishes in April, we might we might have some fans there, but it's beginning to look more and more doubtful all the yeah. time. So that that is terrifying. But I think, you know, you're right. You know, I never came on to do out-and-out criticism of anybody. I've probably done enough of that. But <laughs> I, I, I said at the time, and I still stand by it, that I said, I think... Looking back on it, I think there was a there was a lack of appetite, there was a lack of imagination, and you know you could even say there was a lack of integrity about doing the right thing, about looking after the member clubs as a member organisation and saying let's look after everybody here. I've no doubt the difficulties that lay in trying to pull that off, um, but to me the move to the well this is the answer and these these number of clubs are going to suffer really badly was just sort of all, all too convenient and left a really bad taste in the mouth. So how have the, I mean, obviously, you know, you can see that, that how well the club are doing just now. The Scottish Cup final, very mm. unlucky, going well in the league at the moment and, and assuming that the football continues, you, you, you would think uh, that, uh, that you're headed back to the, the, the Premiership next year. Will it have set back the, the long-term plans by a year, two years or, or is pretty much everything on course? I don't, you know what, I think when you think about five-year plans and all that sort of thing, it's difficult to say it won't cause any impact because the reality is at the moment, you don't know. I mean, I think if you watch the documentary, which was on television, you know, Anne said at one point in that this will cost us a fortune. That's probably true for every football club in the land. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a, you know, everybody moves the same way there by way of what the damage is and when you come out of it at one level. I, I, I'm forever an optimist, you know, I'm a supporter. You, you dream and you hope and all the rest of it. So I, I kind of look at that league just now and I think I've seen most of the games this season one of the fortunate ones that actually gets to go into a That's football really. stadium now and again yeah it's like, strange like places George just Galloway. now <laughs> yeah <laughs> well let's not do that one <laughs> don't go around dressed no, we'll as a cat either <laughs> <laughs> um, but no you know you're getting to see it and you say actually when we are when we are on our game um, completely as we were in the first day of the season against Dundee, you know, as I've seen us at home against, you know, Air United, Aloha, all these sort of things, we look like we're capable of tearing teams apart at that level. Now, um, you know, as a supporter, you look and say there's one or two results haven't gone quite right. Robbie was straight out saying, well, that'll happen and he's right. But I look at it and say, touch wood, you know, it is difficult to see Hearts not winning that league comfortably. So yeah. I think we'll be back in the Premiership. I watched Celtic and Hibs last night and was thinking, bring it on. You know, I couldn't really see much there. And I know with all the circumstances around Celtic said it was a very different team. I was amazed Hibs weren't having more of a go at them. 
Um, but there was nothing I was watching on television last night that made me think we're a country mile away from that standard. Um, I think, to, to, I liked... to be fair, I mean, I, I know you're saying about that game last night because, because obviously, as a Celtic fan, I, I, I was watching it myself. But it's, it's difficult when you're a fan, isn't it, uh, not yeah. to be informed by your by, by your own partisanship. But, you know, but I know. but I have felt all the way through this season, and I know the Celtic have been have been pretty poor all this, all season. But hmm. I, I've I felt that, that the lack of fans at the ground really does detract from it as a, as a spectacle. You look at yeah. the, the Scottish Cup final, for instance, which was really, really exciting situation, but it was real drama. And uh, yeah, but imagine it, that with fifty thousand fans. That, that's what I mean. The, yeah. the, the, there is the, there's nothing to, nothing to beat it. But but there there is also, and I think Hearts come into this category possibly as well. That, that I think that that not how, the bigger clubs, you know, the, the 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 clubs who have who have bigger attendances like the Celtics, Rangers, Hearts, Hibs, Aberdeens, um, have possibly been dragged a wee bit toward the rest of the pack because it's a great mm. level, isn't it? When there's, when there's yeah, completely. I heard uh, I heard Robbie say in the after match. I mean, the one thing about being at the match is that um, you know the match finishes, you say your goodbyes, you're back into the car, so you tend to hear the after match interviews for a change. And I heard Robbie. I think it was after the Arbroath game. Um, and had we gone, I don't know, had we gone three three nothing up at half time, and it finished three one. And I think he called it right away. He said if the Hearts fans were in the stadium at that point they would have been demanding that the team, yeah. uh, you know, by, by their voices, they would have been demanding to say, keep pushing, keep going, keep going. Yeah, we came out in the second half and looked as if, you know, we were just slightly off the pace compared to the first half. And it must be you're looking at it, you're saying, well, we're comfortable, we just need to contain the game here, we've got the three points. It was very different on the first day of the season when clearly we kept going for it against Dundee. But the one thing I said as I walked back into the... Um, the gunnels of the stadium, I said, blimey, can you imagine? I said, this stadium would have been bouncing tonight, you know, with everything that went on last season, yeah. with us being first match of the season against Dundee at home and then getting a 6-2 result, you think the place would have been absolutely flying. So it's, I think the clubs are making the, the best of it. And I think one of the first clubs that came to Tynecastle referred to our fan noise in the background as whale sound, which <laughs> made me laugh. <laughs> I see where you're coming from. But you think, other than that, you're sitting there unusually hearing absolutely everything that's said on the pitch, which sometimes is completely hilarious. Because, um, you know, you don't normally hear that because of the background noise of the crowd and everything. So you're even hearing the referees chatting with them. So it's been a it's been a, an experience, if I put it that way. But, yeah, it's a hollow event without supporters in there. Let's face it, you know, without the match day feeling, without the buzz going in there, walking down to the stadium with other fans, you know, battling your way through into your seat for kickoff type thing. It, to me, it's part of the whole experience yeah. and it's a bit anodyne without it type thing. Well, the, the the smell of it almost isn't it? You know the the yeah. the, the, the crowd. I mean, my, my own memories of being a kid was obviously not so much now, but was was tobacco smoke. That was that yeah, was the thing. Yeah, you, Kenny knew you were. At, <clears throat> excuse me, you were, you were at a football match because of that as well. But but listen, I'm not going to take too much more of your time because sure. But because I'd like to ask you finally because I'm hearing a lot of optimism here. Will the foundation heart still be there in ten years' time? I certainly hope so. Um, I mean, we will be. The majority shareholder um, in the club, or the you know, we have 75.1% of the shares. We've always said that Foundation of Hearts will hold that shareholding uh, on behalf of the supporters. <coughs> and this whole debate about you know, what do you do in the event of a proposed disposal, I think is only it's only dealing with a what if situation. I've said to anybody, 
at one level, I hope that situation doesn't arise. I certainly hope it doesn't arise anytime soon. Mm-hmm. But who amongst our number um, knows whether it would come up in 25 years' time when none of us are involved? The other thing I've said quite openly is, you know, if there is a, an equivalent of a Sheikh Mansour, if you like, that kind of thing. So I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll take the Gorgie boys to the Champions League final. You know, who are the six of us on the board yeah. to deny the fans that opportunity? See, if that's how they decide they want it to go, then that should be there for them. So I don't you know, I don't see a short-term change. I think we should be viewed as kind of, if you like, guardians of the majority shareholding, if you like. That's our role, is to make sure on a, as hands-off a way as possible as any owner, as any parent company would with a subsidiary. You say, if the subsidiary is getting on with business, delivering what it's meant to be delivering, let it crack on, because clearly they're very good at it. We're there in the background as a sort of temperature check, if you like, um, to work with the club to help make it as successful as possible. So I hope it's got real longevity, 10 years and beyond. But... You know, there's there's no crystal ball, and that's why we're kind of paining ourselves over the governance model and things like that to say, let's make sure we've got it right, so that if something changes in ten years' time or you know twenty years' time or whenever, we can accommodate that at the time and we're ready to go. Stuart Wallace, thanks very much for your time, and best of luck for the rest of the season. Thank you, thanks, John. Stuart Wallace, there on the progress at Hearts up to now, uh, an altogether more successful model than most. And the optimism certainly shines through, and that can only be good news for the Jambos. In fans' organisations, everyone has an opinion, and 5,000 fans will probably have 5,000 of them, different ones that is. The remarkable feat, in my view, of what the Foundation of Hearts has achieved is their ability to unite fans, and that may be the most important trick to pull off in the pursuit of fan ownership of any of our clubs. We hope to be back soon with uh, news uh, and uh, views from another fan group intent on securing their club for the community uh, that it serves. Meanwhile, I hope you all stay safe and well, and thanks for listening. Uh, I've been John Cole. Bye.